The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Derek Dorch of the Diversa Group, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch. Derek walks you through how to win government jobs, effectively manage your government career, and best utilize government services. Every week on Fed Access, you'll learn about interesting federal agencies, workers, and careers. Fed Access provides you the access you need to succeed in the federal government. And now your host, Derek T. Dorch. Welcome to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. We're glad you're stopping by the show. I hope you got a good weekend, and we're going to be talking about some cyber stuff. It's all over the place all the time, but we're going to be talking about CyberCom and what's going on. If there's any time that cyber is the important thing in the federal government, and not only just the federal government, but just in all of our lives, it's this time right now. And we've got Heather Caldell on the line. She's the managing editor of NextGov, and you can find them at nextgov.com. But she's been covering cyber and CyberCon for quite some time. And so we're going to get her insights about what's going on. And she's going to also give us some insight on what's going on with some other agencies that's been in the news recently. And we'll be talking about that as well. Heather, hey, thank you for coming on Fed Access. Thank you so much for having me, Derek. Hey, you know, talk to us. I saw your article and, that, and it caught my interest. And I know you've been covering CyberCon. I've been following you for a while. And I know you've been covering CyberCon. So I was like, let me get her on the show. Hey, talk to me about what's going on with CyberCon. We've got all these issues, whether it be the Russians, the Chinese. We've got all these different issues going on. And we keep on hearing about, you know, the, the hacking, the infiltration, uh, all these other things that are going on with our government. What's happening with CyberCon? Are, are they where they need to be right now? Well, it was a big week for CyberCom um, for a couple reasons. They were stopping by the Hill to talk to the Senate Armed Services Committee. Um, On Tuesday, it was Admiral Michael Rogers' turn. He was actually giving an update and going through some of the budget requests for CyberCom, but he will be retiring this spring. Mm -hmm. So there's currently a nominee, Lieutenant General Paul Nakasomi. His his hearing was Thursday, and he was going to talk about his plan. So we had Rogers talking about what, where CyberCom is, and then we had Nagasoni talking about where he thinks it's going to be going. So it was a pretty interesting week for CyberCom. So where did Rogers um, say that, you know, that, that it is right now? I mean, you know, as we're looking at CyberCom and looking at, you know, because, uh, uh, you know, it got built up, you know, these uh, several years ago when cyber mm-hmm. really, really became big and came, became its own command. Where are they seeing right now? Are they able to handle the threats that, that, that we're facing as a government? Well, right now, well, Rogers does feel like, they have the capability, but what he thinks Cyber Command needs is going to need is some more capacity. CyberCom mm. was developed through assessments that the department did 10 years ago. And in 10 years in the cybersecurity world is, I mean, it's like the Middle Ages. So there's a lot that Rogers thinks that his successor will need to do. For example, he wants to take the lessons that they've learned over eight years of operations kind of retool some teams, um, figure out different ways of working with partners. That is Defense Department partners, but also um, they do significant amount of work with DHS and other sectors to help secure critical infrastructure. Um, but right now, CyberCom, even though it was sort of conceived of 10 years ago, it's actually just now about to hit um, full operating capability. Mm, So it's going to be, there's going to be about, it's actually on pace early to hit FOC early, and it will have about 
6,200 people. And those are pulled. It's a big combination of groups. There's full-time people who are both military members and civilians. Plus, there's a significant, they pull from all all the military services and a substantial representation of um, the reserve forces. So it is pulling from a lot of different places. Um, when one of the really big things to know is, and this has been talked about for a long time, but last year, President Trump ordered to have um, Cybercom elevated to a full unified combatant command. Okay. So that okay. puts it on the same level as like Stratcom or right. Centcom. Um, that gives whoever the commander is a direct line to Secretary Mattis and the president. So instead of having to go through other commanders, he can go. He can take the issues of his command right to the top, mm. which will help help operations. You know, I, I saw in here that they were saying they were on pace and, you know, the, the 133, you know, cyber mission force teams. When you when I hear about that and hear about the 133 teams, what does that involve? I mean, I know that their workforce and I'll talk to you know about the workforce. But, you know, did, did, did they break down what that involves in these different teams? Is are they have teams that are dealing with social media exploitation and, of course, critical infrastructure? Are those teams broken down that way? Probably, but they don't usually talk about that openly. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> okay. And I'm sure they didn't but talk they, about that in the hearing either. So. <laughs> <laughs> Not so open. Right, right, right. I mean, everyone always loves to hear about the offensive mesh- missions mm-hmm. that Cybercom does. Mm-hmm. And they do offensive cyber missions, but you're not going to get a lot of details about that. But they do, for example, support um, the battle against ISIS. Right. That's right. a big part of their mission. But another huge part of their mission is defense. And that's where lawmakers press them, you know, are you doing enough? Do you have enough resources? What do you need from us? And how can we make your job easier? Mm. Um, So one of the things that's going to happen is um, not only will it become unified combatant command, one of the things that in his written testimony, Roger said Cybercom will be requesting is its first headquarters. And that might sound weird since it's about 10 years old, but the Cyber Command actually rents space from the National Security Agency. Right. They're co-located in a lot of places. Um, so that will be the first time, if, if Congress appropriates it, of course, that they will actually have its own home. Did anything come out in terms of, you know, where this home would be? Would it still, you know, everybody has always done kind of Fort Meade and going up that Baltimore sector, you know, Anne Arundel and everywhere else. You know, everybody's always known it to be kind of the hub of cyber in the area, right? It, are they still talking about kind of keeping that the the case or are they talking about maybe finding a whole new location? Uh, there's plenty of land in the area in the DM, in, you know, in, in the DMV, in the D.C., uh, Maryland, Virginia area. Are they looking at a whole new area or, or staying on Fort Meade? In the written testimony, they said they would still be looking around Fort Meade, which brings us to a very important point about Cyber Command. The Cyber Command leader is Admiral Michael Rogers, but he's also the leader of the National Security Agency. Mm -hmm. And coming up, it has been long talked about splitting the two different agencies, because arguably they do different missions. Cybercom is a military and so, for example, part of their job, not part of their job, their job mm-hmm. is defending Defense Department networks. So they are very interested in, for example, if they find some software has a vulnerability, they're going to want to make sure that the Defense Department knows about it and patches 
every possible instance of that software to help fortify their networks. Now, National Security Agency, on the other hand, you know, they do intelligence gathering. So if they discover a vulnerability, they might want to keep that vulnerability for its intelligence gathering value. So having the same leader, you know, critics say actually is not helpful. Um, People who support that, though, because Cybercom and national security agencies are entwined, they say having one leader will kind of streamlines the decision making. You know, he knows what's going on in both in both organizations. And I will say one thing that Lieutenant General Nakasone said during his his testimony to lawmakers was that he doesn't have a pre he hasn't decided when exactly Cybercom will be ready to fly solo. So while they definitely are elevating to a full unified combatant command, when that split happens is still kind of up in the air. I'm going to hold you right there, Heather. I want to take a quick break, but I want to keep on coming back to this. I mean, because really the impact, you know, the what the, the impact of, of two different dynamics of the NSA then, you know, and Cybercom separating could really have some uh, tremendous uh, impact upon the community, right, in terms of uh, where mm-hmm. things are going. NSA has its own parameters and what they're doing, a heavy overseas mission. They're doing that signals intelligence as cryptology. And then, of course, cyber, they're still kind of dealing with these similar worlds, but a little bit, you know, definitely a little bit different, right? They Internet of Things, you know, our infrastructure protection and everything else. So that's an interesting concept in terms of splitting them up. We're talking to Heather Codell. She is the managing editor. Editor. Look at my Heather, I'm having a hard time today. She's the managing right. editor. <laughs> She's the managing editor of NextGov. You can find them at nextgov.com. NextGov.com. We are talking about Cybercom. We're talking about what's going on. Uh, there's some new leadership changes that's going on. There's different things that are going to be happening, maybe a split of some agencies that is going on. And so we've got a lot that's going on in 2018 that we're going to continue to talk about as we're talking about this on Fed Access. You're listening to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch from Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m. Welcome back to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m. If you're just joining us, we've been talking about Cybercom. A lot of people know about a lot of people don't. But Cybercom is one of these agencies that was developed several years ago to really work on protecting uh, our nation and really also to do offensive and defensive work in a command that really focuses in on cybersecurity, cyber offensive capabilities in terms of maybe attacking our enemies, whether it be a Russia or China or North Korea, maybe looking at. ISIS in terms of a cyber attack against them and their propaganda machine or anything that they've got going on. So we've got this unique command and we're talking about it standing up on its own right now. After several years of really kind of doing its thing, it's starting to get its full footing and getting a workforce. They can really kind of say, you know what, we're ready to go and ready to take this attack to the enemy and ready to defend our homeland as well. We're talking to Heather Caldell. She's the managing editor of NextGov. NextGov is a, a site where you can find a whole bunch of information. And and Heather, would you say that you guys do more technology? Or are you talking about a number of different things at NextGov? We focus on technology that the federal government is using. So that there's a big element of cybersecurity, but there's a lot of other things going on too, like the White House's push for IT modernization across the executive branch. Any of that stuff you can find on NextGov. And so you can find them at nextgov.com. She's been focusing in on Cybercom. So we've got her here giving the scoop about what's happening with Cybercom. You know, Heather, you know, there's always been this um, issue about the workforce and and the complications of getting a federal workforce that was competent, 
to do cyber work, even in the military, in the civilian side of it, in the contractors. Everybody was saying, hey, the private sector has better people on cyber. Where are we with that right now? I mean, you know, even though Cybercom is saying, hey, we've got our full footing. Are they really where they need to be in terms of having the top talent? Because a lot of people were saying we couldn't afford the top talent in terms of cyber. Well, according to Admiral Rogers' testimony, we have the top talent, but okay. it is in in a huge demand. Like I, I can't understate it. Um, there's a term military uh, military uses. It's a high demand, low density resource, mm. which means people come to Cyber Command and they want them for a lot of missions, and they definitely cannot. They can't fulfill all the missions. All the, all yeah. the missions they can. <laughs> so one thing that Rogers was definitely saying is that they are going to need to reevaluate whether 6,200 people is going to be enough. Mm. But there's also, he did make a big push that they will need to work with the private, private sector some more. He didn't go into a lot of details. Um, you know, it's, yeah, it's cybercom. It's right, secret. Right, right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't expect them but, to. But you're right. There's, there's always... There's always a push for cyber talent, and a lot of people want cyber talent, which, right. make, which makes it a very demanding profession. The number that usually gets kicked around is there's going to be like 1.8 million cyber vacancies wow. by, I think, 2020. I might have the year wrong, but you hear the 1.8 million number a lot. So there's a big push across all of government and including Cybercom to woo those people. One advantage that you could say that Cybercom has, a lot of government agencies have this, but they have a very sexy mission. Mm-hmm. You can, one of the ways they can get analysts or other people to work for them is they, they literally can do things you can do nowhere else in the world legally i'll add legally on there <laughs> right 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 <laughs> right you will be able to use defense department technology and be able to do things where just the mission is so important that it can really appeal to potential recruits gotcha. um that said they also rogers also said that the reserves and from other branches will from, from all branches i should say will continue to be a big part of cybercom um, one of the things that they talk about is uh, lawmakers are worried that Cybercom doesn't have mechanisms to track the different cyber talents and mm-hmm. resources that various reserve branches have. And that's one thing that Rogers agrees with. And that's something that they're working on. So if they have a particular I think one thing when people talk about cyber, they think it's like one big mysterious thing. Right. Um, it's, kind of, it's, kind of, it's kind of disjointed. It's kind of disjointed and, yeah. across the nation, isn't it? I mean, in a way. Yeah. So one thing that they want to do is streamline that process. So if they have a, a specific mission, they can figure out wh- which resources, which reserves to tap. Um, mm-hmm. And that's going to be an ongoing process because it's, Standing up a command is is not a small, insignificant thing. <laughs> right, right. You know, when when it comes to the reserves, and, and as you're kind of talking about that, it you know, it, it brought to my I, I used to, I was hearing some things about utilizing the reserves more and more because you could possibly get that person who was working, you know, for Google or working for one of the high, you know, tech, you know, uh, startup firms or whatever, and still get that person who's, you know, making a Google gobs of money, but then get them into the reserve side of the military. Is that conversation still kind of going?
going on? And has there been also a conversation about uh, the clearances? I mean, because sometimes, you know, in, in the cyber world, for those who were some of your top talent, uh, like you were mentioning, um, you know, some of them had done some things that, you know, maybe they shouldn't have done, but that's how they got their skills, right? Maybe that's how they became a good hacker. You know, some people, you know, became, uh, uh, you know, some people have a certain kind of life in terms of marijuana or other things like that, but they're very, very good on the cyber side. Has that been an issue as well in terms of recruiting people with those security well, that, that was a lot of questions, so I'm going to start with the reserves. I still hear lots of talk about um, being able to tap reservists as a big key to fighting cyber cyber in general, mm-hmm. right? Um, because you can go, these people can get continue to develop their skills, they can get paid well in the private sector, and then come and help serve their country. So that is actually an inc- incredibly popular thing. We frequently hear the idea floated of a specific cyber national guard mm-hmm. um, from the Hill. I haven't heard that much on it recently, but I know it was an idea that several lawmakers were kicking around, like, how can we make this very easy where perhaps, you know, a citizen can go on in their private life, but then they come for, you know, X amount of days and help out at various agencies. For that in particular, they were thinking more other executive branch agencies. I think maybe CyberCom needs more of a commitment than 10 days or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) We've got this, we've got this uh, Russian emergency. I need you here for a couple of days. (laughs) I don't know if it really works like that, but um, I know that's something that we hear a lot of. And I have heard, um, in ver- over the years, there's been various talk of uh, should, for example, if you're going into the military and you have a very particular cyber skill set, uh, should, for example, and I, this is a little stereotypical, but I've heard this, you know, do they need to meet physical, physical requirements right, because right. they're going to be sitting behind a computer? Do we need to worry about whether they have tattoos? Do we need to be more lenient about certain laws right. they may have broken? Um, so that's something that you hear bubble up from time to time. Um, I know Rogers in Tuesday's hearing, he was he was suggesting that one thing recruit military recruiters could do is, well, military in general, not mm-hmm. just recruiters, mm-hmm. but uh, upon recruiting, have a cyber career path mapped out. Um, currently, a lot of times in the military, you will do cyber for a short amount of time, mm. and then you will do another another duty. Right. So instead of going back and forth and having people try out a, a bunch of different things, if there is a clear path that you can spell out to troops and they can actually follow if this is something that they're very interested, not only will leadership know where to look, um, people who are interested in doing that kind of work will know how what, what assignments to take. You know, when as we look at this and, and just reading through, and we've been hearing a lot about this lately, about uh, the, 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 that Russia is not afraid of us, right? I mean, that they're, oh, they're yeah. really, uh, you know, and, and just looking through uh, congressional testimony and just, you know, even a hit on the Hill and, and just uh, looking at uh, his comments, um, it really is kind of concerning because it feels as if uh, we have a country who kind of feels as if they can do whatever they want to and there's no retaliation. It, it, is, is that kind of still kind of the model that's going on? And, and did they kind of talk about, hey, this is where we need to go? Or is his successor saying that's one of my top priorities? Well, it was sort of interesting because there are there are a lot of laws that dictate what a commander can do. Mm-hmm. Um, when Roger was in front of the committee, uh, many lawmakers were like, well, has the White House directed you to do retaliatory 
operations against Russia. And he said he had not done, he had not received any additional authorities. Um, and frankly, you wouldn't want a commander to be operating right. outside of their authority. Right, sure, definitely. <laughs> <But> <laughs> Especially with them capabilities. Yeah. But um, so obviously that has a lot of, to do with politics, but it does. One of the things he was saying is there there are a lot of policy restraints on cyber command, and you can argue for good reasons, and mm-hmm. you can argue that they are limiting for bad reasons. That's that's um that's a whole different debate. Mm. Um, but Rogers did say, you know, whatever he he had said that he had conducted operations that were within his authority. However, it obviously was not deterring Russia in any significant way. He he said that Russia doesn't fear the U.S., and also Nakasone in his hearing said they do not fear us. Um, they, neither one of them are going to go into what we, what they think the U.S. should do in an open hearing, um, but obviously it is of great concern to right. whoever will be leading Cybercom. We're talking to Heather Caldell. She is the managing editor of NextGov. It's a, a, a site that you can find information about what's going on in the federal government as it relates to IT and what's related into kind of cyber the world and all the different things kind of technical and technology driven, which is a very, very big part of our government. You can find the site at nextgov.com. Uh, she's really been following what's happening with Cybercom. And it, it, because of the nature, if you're just following the news on any channel, um, you cannot help but but to avoid uh, hearing about the cyber nature of what's happening, that we are in this cyber warfare state, uh, whether it be the penetration of our elections, whether it be uh, people trying to tap into our infrastructure or even just hacking things that people didn't think about, uh, healthcare industry and uh, personnel files, what we had many years ago with the OPM file uh, hack. But all these different entities that we have to be worried about, whether it be Russia, China, Iran, North Korea, or whoever the case is, and Cybercom is one of those uh, uh, federal, you know, components that's focusing in on this uh, defending but also taking the battle to uh, countries who are also trying to fight us on that warfare space right there when we come back we're going to continue this conversation listen to fed access with Derek t dorch on federal news radio 1500 a.m Welcome back to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. If you're just joining us, we've been having an interesting conversation about cyber, especially about Cybercom. It's the Cyber Command of, of our, of really, is one of our combatant commands. It hasn't stood up as its full command yet, but they're here in order to defend our nation in terms of cyber attacks, but then also take the offensive uh, 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 posture in terms of maybe attacking an enemy uh, using cyber weapons and, and what we talk about cyber warfare. But we are talking about it because there's some new developments that are happening, new leadership that's coming. There's some new developments in terms of making this its own command, which also gives us its own unique power and standing where they can talk to the secretary of defense, have a little bit more access to the president and those decision makers, those policymakers who can really, really kind of change the footing of that command and what they do in the future. We're talking to Heather Caldell. She is the managing editor of NextGov. You can find them at nextgov.com. They focus in on federal IT, federal technology, federal cyber. They focus in on that technical world, that technology world of the federal market. And so we're talking about this today. Heather, you know, when we're looking at this and and, and, and still kind of going on with the Russian dynamic, um, you know, a lot of times everybody thinks, oh, we need to attack you know, uh, uh, Russia or whoever the case is, right? We need to attack our enemy and knock out their networks, right? Or we need to go do this. And and me and you were just talking over the break about there are other options, but everybody always thinks, oh, we're being attacked. So what are we doing right now to attack them and every and, and all the other kind of pieces, which 
could start a war, right? It could actually take it from the cyber side and actually start a real, you know, physical war that we don't want. What What uh, do you hear about right, that? You're right on that. Um, well, one thing that you will hear, um, there's been other legislation and that's been popularly called like the hack back bill where private companies want to be able to sort of retaliate or at least destroy the data that a hacker might steal from them. Mm. But that gets into a very messy gray area um, where a private company could start a, a war over over their data. It's a very right. it's a very dicey area. Um, but one thing that during Roger's hearing um, lawmakers really pressed about was, you know, like, what are we doing? Are we cyber attacking the Kremlin? You know, what what is the digital things that we it, are? It sounds sexy, right? It sounds sexy, but it has it consequences. Sounds, <laughs> Well, it's very eye for an eye, right? Mm -hmm. um, so Rogers was very careful, and he said this in about 20 different ways, 20 different times, which is just because we, are, we, we experience a cyber attack doesn't mean cyber is the best way to respond. Right. There are a lot of other tools that, as a government, we have. For example, State Department sanctions, mm -hmm. some secret stuff that we will never hear about and never know about that right. maybe is in the cyber arena. Right. There's policies, there's diplomacy, there's a lot of other things. It, it's not just everything that happens in the cyber domain must mm -hmm. stay within the cyber domain. Did he talk about the dynamics? You know, everybody's talking about these elections and, and you know, with the indictments going down and, and when people kind of read through the efforts that have been made in terms of whether social media and uh, uh, the uh, you know the the standing up of so many different fake social media uh, people on Facebook and all these different sites in order to influence our population and influence the election. Did he kind of talk about that and maybe the defenses towards that, or or that was kind of a conversation that hey, you know, I'm hoping we can get better, but we're not completely there yet. What what was his take on that? Well, I think this is one of the reasons why Cybercom's um, skills, personnel, and capabilities are so in demand. Is uh, and Rogers cautioned against this. Everyone wants Cybercom to fix things, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, so, actually, within the scope of U.S. law, the DoD is not at all responsible for election security systems. Wow. It's a little bit different when you're talking about social media. Right. Uh, right. That's that's information warfare. However, if you're talking about like the voting machines, which did of course come up, but tampering in elections, there's a slice of that that's for cybercom. But really, federally speaking, the Department of Homeland Security is who has jurisdiction over several areas we call critical infrastructure. So in that case, you're talking about things like power grids, dams. And in and only recently, election the mm -hmm. electoral system. And there, not, I'm not talking about voting machines. I'm talking about the electoral system. Right, right, right. So while DOD does and Cybercom do support DHS, DHS has the lead on that. And one thing Rogers did talk about in his hearing was that there's a pretty good framework there where these agencies can support each other, but um, it has to get optimized for speed, right? Mm. If you have a lot of different players, maybe you have the structure, but it's taking a little bit too long to go back and forth on things. And when election, when you're talking about election systems, it's it's more complicated than the DHS helping because actually those are run by states. 
and counties and localities. Right. 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 It's, there's not one person that you go to and go, you know, like the the king of the election. Right. Right. We, <laughs> we don't have we don't have the federal elections are yet. Right. I mean, maybe one day, but <laughs> yes. and, and when DHS, this was just last year and it was still Secretary Jay Johnson, when they even started talking about naming election systems as um, possibly naming it as critical infrastructure, which is a, is a way, it's a mechanism that allows DHS to offer different mm-hmm. support, like mm-hmm. scanning voting machines. States really, many states, I'm not going to say all states, but many states really saw that as a federal power grab. Mm. Wow. Because, um, you know, it's, it, it's, it's one of those like classic federalism debates, you know, who's really in charge of right. this? For speed's sake, if you want to talk about a cyber, from a cyber stance, it makes sense to have one person you can go to who then can tell everyone what machines to use and everyone what kind of threats there are. But that's just not how the system works. Right, it's right. far too dispersed. And the, and the state, I can I can see, you know, just as we've seen with everything else, I can see major pushback from the states uh, to feel like they, they're becoming more federalized, you know, and, and, and it seems to be even now there's even more pushback against kind of, you know, the federal government taking charge. You know, we're, we're seeing it with immigration. We're seeing it with the gun debate. We're seeing it with a number of different pieces that states now want to really have their own, you know, their own piece of the pie. And they don't really want to rely on the federal government for a lot of things. Well, you know, it may have started in a begrudging relationship, but uh, it seems like they're making a lot of progress on figuring out how to work together. Okay. Um, I know one thing that many secretaries of state have have complained about is, like, some of it is, like, classic bureaucratic red tape. For example, all those secretaries of state who see Homeland Security cyber threats about their sector, mm-hmm. guess what? They need clearances. Mm. Guess what? That <laughs> takes time. Right. Even though they're getting faster, you know, I don't know if you know this, we have a lot of states, but that's <laughs> that, right. <laughs> that kind of thing takes time. And, then, and yeah. we got the counties and the, 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 the cities oh, and yeah. everything else, yeah. Absolutely. So it's starting to get in a place where they are working together and trying to figure out efficiencies and the Election Assistant Commission, which is actually a commission that has at some times been virtually gutted by Congress in recent years, has actually played a key role in working between Homeland Security and Secretaries of State. So they come up with best practices. They are voluntary. You can opt to do them, but they have been sort of the go-between between these very different entities on very different levels of government. You know, Heather, I, I can see that many states or counties or cities or localities um, will probably you know, say, hey, we don't have the funding or or the expertise to get to this level of cyber. You know, we're already doing the best we can with cybersecurity just for our county networks and everything else. Now you're asking us to put on an additional level of people and, you know, personnel and, and equipment and software. I, I could see that they're probably saying, hey, we don't have the funding. And we if we are going to do this, we would need some help. And that's maybe where the federal government would come in. Is that the case? I mean, bingo. Uh, the reason that a lot of states have machines that are 10 years or older or are running really old operating systems is exactly that. It's very expensive to roll out new machinery, mm-hmm. particularly statewide. Um, there is some efforts in Congress. Uh, there is a Democratic push in the House, yes, the House, that 
wants to redirect about $300 million of funds that they had actually authorized back in 2000 that were supposed to help develop, um, help states pay for voting machines. We're talking specifically about the voting tech right here. Um, for example, and so there's a, it just never got appropriated. Some of it did, but there's still apparently $300 million left over, which I feel like I would notice if I had $3 million right. left over. <laughs> we would definitely notice. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we might not be talking right now if we had the $3 million left over, right? You know, you might be right about that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we got to take a but, quick break, Heather. Let me hold yeah. you right there. I got to take a quick now. I want you to pick up. Just hold where you're at right now, and I want to and I want to come back. And I'm also ask you, effect. I saw you wrote an article about fishing and W-2, and, and I know it's tax <laughs> season right now. Can, can, can we just talk about that before we close out oh, the show because I think people because sure I think people need to hear that because there's so many scams that are going on right now that I think people need, just need to be aware of what's happening with these tax scams so I want to hit that real quick before we jump off today yeah. all right now listen to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch we're talking to Heather Heather you tell it because I, I am I pronouncing it right give it a background Coldell, you Cold, got it. I got it. it. Okay, Coldell. Well. I, I hope I've been saying it right. I've been trying to make sure I say it right. But she's the managing editor of nextgov.com. You can find it at that site right there. They talk talk everything that's, you know, technology related to the federal government. Cyber, uh, talking about these scams, talking about, you know, federal acquisition in terms of IT and technology. These are big issues with the federal government right now. And you have to know what's going on. If you think about how much technology the federal government runs, whether it be the intelligence community, whether it be DOD, whether it be State Department, Commerce, IRS, or whoever, there's a lot of technology that goes to the infrastructure of federal government. So we need to understand it and need to know what's going on. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with this conversation. You're listening to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Welcome back to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. If you're just joining us, we've been having a great conversation about what's going on with Cyber Command, what's going on to happen with the future. There's going to be some new leadership going uh, uh, going into place. Uh, Admiral Rogers is leaving. I guess that's why he's being so blunt about what's going on right now. His time is up, and so he can speak freely about what's happening. But there's going to be new leadership. There's going to be some new things happening, possibly a split of CyberCon from NSA, uh, creating two different entities, possibly making CyberCon comments own command in which it'll be reporting directly to the secretary of defense matters and all these things are happening and, and if, if if they do happen they will have major implications on federal government and how things are happening we're talking to heather Caldell. she is the managing editor of nextgov.com nextgov is a site in which you can find out what's going on in the federal it market technology cyber cybersecurity, acquisitions of federal it and everything else and nextgov.com is a site you can find them at heather you know you're talking about voting and hit that real quick and then we'll swing into I want the people to hear about what's going on with these scams so people don't get scammed during this tax season. Go ahead. All right. So we left off with Congress wanting some some members of Congress wanting to redirect about three hundred million to update voting machines. And the first things on their list are any voting machines that don't have what's called a paper audit trail. So if you've ever in the past voted on a machine that doesn't spit anything out that that's like it directly records your vote. Those are some of the most vulnerable and that's it's getting a little old school. They still want to be able to count those votes quickly, but they Mm want to have proof so they can go back and see if there was any election tampering. And that's going to be one of the first things. If this money can go through, will be addressed. But of course that's a one-time fix. Congress is also looking at how they can keep funding this to help states keep safe. 
Well, it seems like it's something that's really, really important. And, and to the next important thing, what's ha- happening with the, I mean, we've, I've been hearing this for years. What's happening with these tax scams? Well, some cybersecurity issues are seasonal. And one of those seasonal cyber issues is definitely tax time. Um, you may get targeted as an individual, but some criminals really know how to invest their time to get the biggest bang for their buck. So there is actually a whole department within IRS that tracks the, the number of the, the spoofing emails, emails that pretend to be them that are trying to trick someone into giving up their personal information. And one of, in the recent years, I think, yeah, in the last couple of years, instead of targeting individuals, what the re- what the smart criminals do is they spoof a company's like CEO. Mm-hmm. They reach out to an HR professional and are like, "Hey, I need everybody's W two information because why hit up one person's PII when you can take everybody's personally identifiable right. information? Send, send me an Excel file with it with everybody's yeah. stuff in it. Just, yeah, just go ahead and email that over. Nothing suspicious about that." But also, they also, um, they'll hit up those same HR professionals or other people in accounting who may deal with wire transfers, and they will try to trick them into sending them a wire transfer where they just, not only are they stealing people's personal information for for future crime, they're also getting a cash infusion by also just straight up stealing cash. Wow. <laughs> so that's, that's what the IRS is warning about this year. So if you, if you happen to be an HR professional or if you are a CEO or just the top official at one of your businesses, one of the things they recommend is getting a little old school. If you actually need people's W-2 information, pick up the phone and call so they know right. it's you. If right. you get a strange wire transfer request or even if it's a vendor you normally pay, just go ahead and pick up that phone if you feel like anything is a little bit off and it's, it's like old school two-factor authentication, right? Hey, I got this email. Did right. you send it? Right. Yep. Right. There you go. <laughs> well, we, we, well, we've seen this with, uh, you know, this this cyber spoofing, you know, even with, you know, some of the government stuff where people thought that they were, you know, whether it be on Instagram or Twitter or whatever mm-hmm. the case is. I mean, people thought they were talking to certain people and they were giving out certain kind of information. That seems to be, you know, even more prevalent right now. Is that just a growing you know dynamic as people are, uh, uh, you know, you know, starting to really understand companies and they're doing this research or they may be getting certain information that allows them to, to do this spoofing the right way well you know if you're a good criminal you get better at your job right, right? you get great right <laughs> you training right you can you right. can target a low-level person or right. you can try to go higher and figure out where the money is in an organization those are the kind of criminals who are playing the long game you know not just someone who's who's tinker it's you know, I think a lot of times people lump hackers into this one great big mm-hmm. group. Mm-hmm. No, these are these are like career criminals. This is how they plan on making their money, and they're going to figure out ways to get better. And you know what? Not all spoofing emails are super obvious. They will look like they're from your boss. Right. They'll look like they're from that package you're expecting from UPS. Yes, it's always good to look at the URL and make sure it's not like UPS, but really the S is a five. But sometimes it's not that clear cut. Well, you know, I've talked to different people before and we've talked about, you know, the amount of information that's out there on us sometimes, whether it be on LinkedIn or, you know, websites or, you know, other other things, Facebook or whoever the case is, uh, uh, you know, a savvy criminal 
oftentimes has a lot of information that they can utilize in order to learn about that person find out what their emails are, you know, find out, you know, how to, you know, communicate like them or they may hear something. They may, you know, watch some YouTube. Maybe a person did a presentation or they could read how you write or they may even see an email you wrote somewhere that, that, you mm-hmm. know, got into a spear. So it seems as if this information is just out here a little bit more. So we have to be, like you said, more savvy about how we defend ourselves. I will say we are often the ones who put it out there. Because mm. if you think about mm. what your security questions are from your right. bank, right. all right, so you, what are the common ones, right? What's your mother's maiden name? Well, are you connected with your mom on Facebook? That's true. <laughs> and does her mom show her maiden name so right. her high school friends can see her? Um, where? What's your hometown? Did you put that on Facebook? Right. What's your high school? Wait, did you connect to your high school alumni group? Um, so... You know, we kind of made ourselves really good targets without even thinking about it. Mm. So, so maybe here's here's just the tip: maybe don't use real answers to those security (laughs) questions. You know what I mean? And and I know with a new mama, exactly right. Come up with a fake mom or something like that, right? (laughs) But you know, in all of that, you know how we had the OPM hack, and and just think about how much of that information is out there, you know, for people. So I think people especially federal workers and just everybody, you know, as a whole, we have to think about a lot of our information is sometimes, you know, able to be found. And you may have to start creating almost an alternate identity, uh, so to say. I mean, you know, that, you know, like I said, you know, answering questions and you don't put your real hometown, right? You don't do Mm -hmm. certain things. I mean, it, it seems to be just what has to be told to people these days. I mean, maybe maybe you have a cyberspace, Derek. I don't yeah, know. right, exactly, <laughs> right, exactly. My 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 alternate person, my alternate yeah, ego out there, right? That's right. <laughs> Heather, thank you so much for coming on the show. I, I, you know, we definitely got to have you back and talking about these issues. I mean, definitely great insight about what's going on with Cybercom, and then also just closing things out. We're helping people really think about, you know, please be careful about your what you're doing out there with WTs with with the taxes. With if somebody's sending you an email asking for information, make sure it's that person before you send it out you know make sure you don't get you know any kind of fraud situation or don't get spoofed by anybody thank you so much heather thank you for having me derek you've been listening to fed access with derek t dorch on federal news radio 1500 a.m if you missed any part of this program you can hear the entire show or any of our weekly programs anytime at federalnewsradio.com Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch, only on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com.